Welcome to Hive Mind. I am Meg. I'm here with Eli, and we have Lindsay Encinas. 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 Yeah. Encinas. We do that. Phone. We do that every. Why time. am I the worst? <laughs> I'm the worst. You know why? It's because you're in my phone as LRE, and so I don't ever see your last name because you're LRE. Anyway, welcome. Thank you for sure. joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Lindsay, tell us what you've been watching. Well, I texted you about this. I watched Bling Empire, (laughs) and and it started off really strong. And then there was, like, a couple episodes where it was all, like, new ages finding lost parents, and it kind of lost me, but then it (laughs) it got me back at the end. So I enjoyed it. (laughs) Tell us what Bling Empire is. Okay, so as far as I can tell, I haven't done a lot of research, but it's this group of really wealthy Asians from um, all different countries, and they're all kind of based in L.A. We have, like, a DJ, and we have just, like, a very... I mean, these people have, like, real wealth. Like, this is not, like, the real housewives of Beverly Hills. Like, (laughs) this is, like, shutting down Rodeo Drive kind of wall. And, yeah, it's it was very fun to watch. And just because, like, when do you get to see that? And it was very petty, which I loved. And then it got a little sad for a couple of <laughs> and, I, and I guess I'm shallow. So then I was like, oh, this is too sad. I don't know. But then, you know, it ended strong. So I, I would, it was good. It was okay. fine. It has a different, like, kind of uh, tempo than what I'm used to. I'm very entrenched in the Bravo universe. So Netflix shows kind of have a different style, but it was good. I think the people who did the music for Selling Sunset did the music for this. Cause it'll oh, it'll definitely. be like stock rap music that's like money 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 I'm spending money uh, money money spending all my money. Honestly, that that is why I can't watch most reality television. It's because the music it's like it I can't do it. Like the camera going into some big match and it's like and it just, I like cannot handle it. And it's like what is what is being pumped into my brain right now? They also there's I just, a I love it. <laughs> There's a character on Bling Empire that they just like mention that her dad is an arms dealer, and you're like, "What?" But like, they just like breeze past it. <laughs> There's no time is spent unpacking that. Oh, and you're wow. like, "What?" No. Like in Tenet? No. All right. Wow. Anything else? Yeah, no, we um, just yeah, lots of Real Housewives. Oh, you know what I've gotten into recently is this is all my like peanut brain can handle mm. is um, the Dream Home Makeover with the McGee people. <laughs> Okay. I've gotten very into that. <laughs> so and and obviously I'm not in Utah right now, so I, I get a lot of like nostalgia of like, oh, I really want like swig, mm-hmm. but then also I'm like, oh, this house is like eight thousand square feet. I don't think I want that. <laughs> so it's like it gives me what I need out of Utah. Gotcha. <laughs> Including no masks ever. <laughs> Oh, oh, no mask. They're like, we've been quarantining, taking it seriously. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> there are 30 people in that room with you. <laughs> Giving hugs. I know. Uh-huh. Very weird. Awesome. Anyways, that's, that's me. Awesome. Eli, what have you been watching? I got two things. Skylar and I on Sunday, finally, we, neither of us had ever seen it. We finally went back and watched The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain. And? This is the most delightful movie. <laughs> have you seen it? Yes. Lindsay, have you seen that movie? I've never heard of it. It's So it was uh, mid-90s, and I remember as a kid it being kind of a big deal. It seemed like it was for my kid brain. But there was like this mid-90s Irish 
renaissance where we all we wanted was like feel good Irish. Films. Yeah, and this is it's actually okay. a Welsh movie. Sorry, but Welsh. I mean honestly, oh, wow. kind of kind of the same vibe, like exactly that, like a, a feel good small town, a bunch of people just like. Getting getting it together and helping one another, and it's like the most feel good movie I've ever seen, but without being like so saccharine that it's sickening. Yeah, and I mean the the, the premise of the movie is the, it's World War One, and these two British guys go to measure a mountain, and in this town, in this town where they're really proud of their mountain, and they find out that the mountain is only nine hundred and eighty feet, which may which may means it's actually just a hill technically. So the entire town gets together and carries dirt up to the top of this hill to make it 1,000 feet so that they it can still be a mountain. And, like, that's the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And it's so cute. Like, it, from beginning to end, I had, like, this huge grin on my face. I cried, like, four times because it's so sweet. <laughs> and it ended, and we looked it up, and it only has, like, 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I, the only thing I can think of is at the time when this movie came out, people maybe just, like, weren't into this sort of thing but in 2021 this is the exact content that i want in my yeah. life <laughs> absolutely yeah so great movie i'd recommend it to everybody if you have not seen it in a while or never seen it just go watch it it is such a lovely evening uh last night i finally i i've been putting this off for a long time Shit's creek ended last year and they did like a 45 minute hour long kind of behind the scenes special after the finale aired about like the making of the show and what it was like and how it got put it together. I never wanted to really watch this because sometimes I think they love their show, their own show so much that I don't I have a hard time kind of hearing them talk about it even though I am a Shit's Creek fan. Yeah. And so I thought it was just going to be like kind of gaggy. It is a little bit, but it was also interesting and features a lot of Catherine O'Hara who I could never get too much of. Um, and so if you are a Schitt's Creek fan and you missed, somehow missed that they did put together this kind of behind the scenes thing and they f- they show a lot of footage of them filming the show, which I thought was really interesting. I'm always very interested in like what it looks like to actually put together a, a comedy show. Yeah. And so uh, I-, I thought it was, I was certainly entertaining enough. Um, one of the things that was so interesting to me about this that I had gathered while watching it, but had never been able to like articulate or really formed a thought around, was that they wanted to promote diversity and specifically like LGBTQ diversity, but different kinds of diversity within the show without drawing attention to the fact that they were doing it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we would like for this character to be gay or whatever. And let's not have there be homophobia that this character has to overcome. Let's just have a town where just there's no homophobia. Yeah. And he can just be. And like, I think that's why the show resonated so well with people is because you watch it and like the the kinds of like difficulties that we usually have to deal with just aren't present. And so they just kind of have regular life struggles that aren't about other people being crappy to them. And yeah. so it's like, I, I think that's why the show, especially during COVID, became so popular. Because I feel like in the last year, it like people like loved Schitt's Creek. And I think it was because of that, because it was just so pleasant to go watch something where people aren't being crappy to each other. Totally. And all they're doing is trying to overcome like their own insecurities and their own like feelings about their, you know, their inability to, to get what they want out of their life. And that's it. And it's not people fighting with each other. So go check it out. Awesome. What about you, Meg? Uh, we watch a movie called The Nice Guys. It stars Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. It came out, I don't know, a few years ago. And it's 
like a buddy cop, but they're private eyes, and it's about a lot of different things, and it's funny, and it's interesting, Hmm. and I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Hmm. And it kind of, after watching that, I was thought that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a ripoff of this movie. Oh. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Because it's like the same time period. There's an L.A. wild party and it's about some murders. And I was like, Quentin Tarantino, I'm on to you. You sly dog. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there was that. I'm also listening to a podcast called 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. And it's by a ringer music critic named Rob, whose last name I don't remember right now. But he goes through these different songs from the 90s. And it's like a very scripted podcast and he's a great writer so it's really fun to listen to but like yesterday i listened to the episode about uh i want it that way oh and it was if it it wasn't the most delightful 30 minutes of my life listening to them talk about (laughs) i want it that way because that song doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. right yeah what are you asking me to tell you (laughs) why why? what tell you why what (laughs) it it doesn't matter though because we love the song and if it was any different we wouldn't love the song Uh and like explaining how we got there and why that song is the way it is and why they were wearing cargo pants it's just delightful (laughs) 60 songs that explain the 90s you can pick up any episode it doesn't matter like they did an emergency episode for the new radicals playing at the inauguration because like why the hell were the new radicals playing at the inauguration (laughs) and they explain that Uh it's it's a really fun podcast I really like it and we're still watching Seinfeld you know aside from everything else the bad and the Real Housewives were watching the Seinfeld and last night was the episode where Susan dies from uh, licking all the envelopes uh-huh. and I cannot believe they got away with that really? Do why? You, because she dies and George is like well <laughs> <laughs> like they were engaged and it's just not and a big deal and she dies and he's like he goes home and he calls a woman he's like listen I got this funeral tomorrow are you free later this week and like for some reason you just aren't even they're, bothered there by are it. no long-term consequences in that show no. for anything that and happens. it's just so enjoyable for yeah. that reason yeah and um well Lindsay texted me a while ago and she's like hey have you guys done garden state on hive mind and i said you know i've actually never seen garden state you had never seen yes, it yes and Lindsay gave the, me the response i usually get which is how <laughs> Because I was a college freshman in 2004 when this movie came out, and every millennial Uh on Earth watched this movie in 2004 except me. Mm. Now, I got to tell you, this movie explained every college relationship that I had, and I am mad about it. I am mad at Zach Braff. Zach Braff is terrible, and he he ruined a generation. What the hell is this movie? Not so when I texted you that I actually hadn't rewatched it. So we had just watched the Royal Tenenbaums because my husband had never seen it, and uh-huh. I was trying to unpack, I guess, my millennial trauma. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I was like, "Well, the next one it would I would have to go to Garden State." And so then we're like, "Okay, we'll like rewatch it." And like as I'm rewatching it, I'm like, "Why did I suggest this? What have I done?" <laughs> I'm so glad. You, so, <laughs> Lindsay, after Meg told me to watch this. And then I watched, because I, you know, I watched it as a young millennial, and of course at the time I was like, oh, so thoughtful, so well, so well. I remember thinking like, wow, the dialogue's really well written. And when I rewatched this, I was seething with rage, and I couldn't tell how much of that was directed at the movie and how much of it was directed at 
22-year-old Eli? Because yeah. I was just like, you freaking idiot. Why did you like this movie? This is terrible. It, it is a toxic it's mix of so self-hate. <laughs> like Mopey, self-hate. white dude mopiness. <laughs> it's so white dude mopey that it is unbearable. Like literally the opening shot of the scene is Zach Braff sitting on a plane that's crashing <laughs> and everyone on the plane is freaking out and he can he's just staring off into the distance like he doesn't even notice the plane's crashing Aww. because he's got so much going on in his mind that he can't even tell that the plane is crashing. And like this started and I was like, no, 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 no. I can't do this. I cannot do this. I told, I, to- I texted Meg like I was like five minutes in and I was like, I wish I could watch this on double speed and then i also wish i could watch this where they just edit out all of the zach braff parts which is he's the in whole every movie. scene he's literally in every scene it's and his zach braff in this movie the entire time it's just scene after scene of him being like life is worth living but why <laughs> have you heard of the shins yeah, I like this music. <laughs> it's the freaking no. shins. <laughs> it's not a deep cut, dude. <laughs> oh, Eli, you explained it so well. Because the whole time I'm like, gosh, I hate Zach Craft, but also, wow, I really hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like, wow. And it was like the whole time. It's like, you know, you get those like hot sweats of like embarrassment, but like it's just you in the room. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh. It was a tough rewatch. It's like so they tough. took all of our collective live journals and oh. turned it into a script. <laughs> For real. You know? For real. Yes. How how also how does Zach Braff manage to always be eighteen and forty five at the same time? <laughs> I don't always. know. Always. I don't know. It's but impressive. He, he doesn't look that different. He doesn't <laughs> He doesn't look that much younger. When when he meets Natalie Portman, I'm like, No, you're thirty years older than her. Get away from okay. Natalie Portman. I was this movie it started and I was like, This is kinda slow. I, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, I think because I've like there's been so many iterations of this yeah. since where I was like, Okay, so yeah. I get it. Natalie Portman comes on screen. I got irate. Yeah. I was like, this is a child. Yeah. This is a little <laughs> girl. He is into a ch- child. child. Yeah. Is she supposed to be like well, 18? I don't know, but it's upsetting. I, I she acts she 10. Bar. And it, the other thing that was so upsetting is knowing what I know now about Zach Braff and this yeah. that he dates Florence Pugh. Yeah. It was so upsetting. I was getting so upset. Yeah. Thinking about like this is like a long con for him. Like, oh yeah, I w- It was really, really tricky. Mm-hmm. I got upset thinking about all the guys I dated post Garden State who were expecting me to be Natalie Portman in uh-huh. Garden State, whose sole purpose in this movie is to cheer him up. Yeah, is would you describe mm-hmm. her as yeah. manic pixie? Yeah, she is the original, original. manic pixie yeah. dream girl. Mm-hmm. And it is She's infuriating. Quirky. You know what? When I feel unoriginal, I like to do something that's never been done before. Oh blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I wanted to claw my eyes out and my ears. That, Kate, and while the entire time re-watching this movie, I was watching this relationship and I was like, there's no way that these two people would like each other. There's no, no way. Zach Braff is like too self-absorbed to be paying attention to anyone else. What on earth would this young woman get out of that guy? Who claims to work at a law firm, by the way? We never once see her go to a place of business. Is that what she said, is a law firm? Yes. 
Yes. And she also, the reason why we never see her do anything is because she's not a real character. She is like nothing. She is a cardboard cutout of a girlfriend in 2004. There's no attempt. She has no dimension. No, like none whatsoever. Huh. That she's just quirky. Quirky and cute. I live in a messy house. Um, Okay, did you guys, a slight tangent, did you guys follow this a couple years ago when Natalie Portman did that email pen pal thing with that guy? No, what? Give me, no. give me like two minutes on this because you guys are going to die. Okay, so there's this writer, Natalie Portman started an email pen pal ship with this guy, Jonathan something or other. And it was like clearly they were doing this for the purpose of these emails being published in a magazine later. Like, oops, our emails got out. <laughs> these are the most pretentious. So people have been mocking these for years. So I'm going to read you a couple of snippets of the emails back and forth. <clears throat> this Jonathan guy writes her, it's almost six o'clock in the morning. The boys are still asleep. I can hear guinea pigs stirring. Wait, he's married? No. But that might Wait, be... Wait, what? Sorry, who are the boys? It's just like, I, I don't know, Meg. Let me just read you a couple snippets so you can hear the writing style, okay? I can hear the guinea pigs are stirring, but that might be the residue of a nightmare. People often refer to aloneness and writer's block as the two great challenges of being a novelist. In fact, the hardest part is having <gasps> wait, to care for guinea pigs. Wait, wait, pigs. wait, wait. This is Jonathan? Yeah, Jonathan something or other. Do you know Not who? Saffron Foer. I don't know. I can't remember who is, what his last name is. I just took screenshots of my favorite parts of these emails. Um, freedom might not be a prerequisite of, for the expression of passion. It helps sometimes, but to not Jenna, be able to Jonathan follow your Saffron instincts. Foer. Sorry okay. to cut you off, but like this makes a lot of sense okay. now. So they they go back and forth. They do these they do these emails back and forth. Natalie Portman writes back. My mother in law used a word for guinea pig in telling me the story in French yesterday. It's <laughs> some French word which translates to pig in India. Who's right? And these things go back and forth, and the writing gets more and more pretentious to like uh, the degree that like nobody would ever write this way on purpose. <laughs> and so these emails get published, and I think their intention was like, oh my gosh, like so many people are going to be like, wow, they're so thoughtful and introspective. But instead, everybody was just like, <laughs> and so they got mocked relentlessly. And you can find tons of parodies online of people like, I accidentally just published my pen pal exchange with this person I met online. And it's just like the most pretentious writing in the world. To her credit, after she got mocked relentlessly for it, she actually was a good sport about it and was like, I'm pretty pretentious and it's good for me to get called out on that every once in a while. Yeah. I actually really love Natalie Portman in most things she does. Yeah. But this movie, atrocious. I just... it is it her fault? No. It's the writing, right? It's the writing. She... Yeah. <sighs> Is it her fault for not quitting halfway through and saying, "You're, I'm a literal child in this? Maybe. <laughs> Is this irresponsible? Probably. Yeah. You know? Am I setting up a whole generation of men for an unsatisfying, unhappy life? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know who is good in this movie? Who? Peter Sarsgaard. The friend. The burnout yeah. friend. Yeah. He's good in everything. Oh. I thought yeah. he I thought he was the best performance in this. Yeah. I agree. Wanted more. Me yeah. too. Wanted Make the movie about him. More. He, he's yeah. kind he's kind of the only one with a, an even remotely like fleshed out personality. Cuz the dad doesn't Definitely. really have one. No. And like I would have actually liked to have seen more of the dad and Zach Braff in this? Shouldn't that be the point of the movie? That, yeah, there seems to be a lot exactly. going on there yeah. that they only sort of talk about. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, he's like a boogeyman. He doesn't. He just like appears randomly and is bad and mean, and then he disappears that, for like another yeah. half an hour. But he's he's not. He doesn't. He only seems like a nice old guy, you yeah. know. Yeah. And like again, like who is this? Write your character. Because you failed to do that here. A, a nice old guy who thinks Zach Braff needs to be on medication. And we're supposed to just believe that Zach Braff is right, that he doesn't need the medication. But okay. it's never really explored. The whole point of this movie is yeah. don't listen to your doctor and just quit your meds. Yeah. Which, like, mm. Yeah, like, Zach Braff's like, I never feel anything when I'm on my meds. <laughs> and then he, at the end, he's like, Dad, I'm going to stop taking the meds. And the dad's like, that's against the wishes of your doctor. And he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm done. I'm going to get a new doctor. And it's, it, the movie wants you to just be like, go Zach Braff. Yeah, tell your dad you're not going to be medicated anymore. And it's like, I actually don't know. Like, this guy might need the he, medication. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say he probably he, needs his medication. He seemed to not care when the plane was crashing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a sign that something's wrong, and I don't think it's the meds. Um, oh, boy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can I read you the IMDb description of this movie? Because that alone... Please. Should have... We should have known, honestly. Yeah. Um, Okay. Andrew Largeman is a semi-successful television actor who plays an intellectually disabled quarterback. His somewhat controlling and psychiatric father has led Andrew to believe that his mother's wheelchair-bound life was his fault. Here it comes. Andrew decides to lay off the drugs that his father and his doctor made him believe that he needed and began to see life for what it is. He began to feel the path he had longed, oh, sorry, feel the pain he had longed for and began to have a genuine relationship with a girl who had some problems of her own. Tell me what part of their relationship is genuine. Uh-huh. I'll wait. Uh-huh. What? what? She's a child. She's a child. <laughs> Mm-hmm. She's a child who ice skates in an alligator costume. Mm-hmm. They know each other for four days. Four days. Mm-hmm. And instead that of going back. That was really tough. Yeah, that was a tough revelation at the end. But this whole thing is four days. It, it's two Jack and Rose relationships, to put it into perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so we asked this question during the Titanic episode. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask it again. How long does this relationship actually last? One more day? Oh, for sure, when he get, at the end when he gets off the plane and he's like, what do we do? What do we do? Into her face, I'm like, you break up tomorrow. You go home <laughs> back to your job. You guys are not going to stick this out. You both have significant problems. This is never going to work. She's a child. So, Lindsay, let me ask you, what, what was your memory of this movie? And when you rewatched it, how... How was the experience differ from what you expected it to be? So I was like late high school, like about, I think, yeah, so 2004. So I was a junior. And I mean, I like thought it was so deep and introspective. (laughs) I loved it. Listened to the soundtrack all the time, like as one does in 2004. And then the last time I'd watched this was probably, I don't know, it's been at least like 10 to 12 years. 
since the last time I've watched this. And I don't know, is this like a symptom of like, just like, could you put it in any time period? And this is just kind of like adolescent angst, or Mm. is it just like a symptom of like specifically like millennial, like Mm. angst? I don't know, but it was, I mean, I I liked it as much as anybody else did in 2004. Like you said, like most people have seen this movie like around our ages. So, but I have not revisited it. And I, now I know why. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is kind of a fun time capsule. It is. Right? And I, I don't think we should discount that this was um, three years after 9-11. Like, mm-hmm. that was like a big yeah. collective trauma, and mm-hmm. this might in some way be a response to that. Mm-hmm. It just feels very of a time mm-hmm. now in a way that has aged like cheese whiz instead of Parmesan. Yeah. A, a Gen Zers is going to make their own Garden State to be released two years from now. Yeah. Mark my words on that. Yeah. I, I is think Euphoria the Garden State? It might, it might be. My very limited exposure to Euphoria, uh, it is very limited. But that does seem like it has, like, young mopiness, more updated I saw a, a TikTok the other day of, like, it was, you know, kids in Euphoria. It was like... Yeah, we drop ecstasy and then we murder people after school. That's what the kids do now. Come on, guys, let's go buy some more ecstasy. It's like, yeah, I, I don't watch Euphoria, but yeah. that seems to be the gist of Euphoria. <laughs> that feels about right. Yeah. Um. Wow. I mean, did this movie make me laugh? Yeah. It, it was, but it wasn't supposed to. I think you know. I think one of the things that makes me the most mad about this movie is I feel like it was a decent story idea wasted on Zach Braff, because like the idea that a child does something that sort of causes their mother to have a completely different life, and then ultimately the mom dies as a result of that thing, and then having to grapple with like, well, to what extent is this my fault? How is this affecting my relationship with my mother's spouse? my father, you know, I I think that's an an interesting plot device, but it's wasted on somebody who is so insufferable having a relationship with a non-person. Yeah, why is Natalie Portman in this movie? Why is she in the movie at all? You know, like this movie, if they could replace Zach Braff with like somebody much less mopey, mopey, maybe a daughter actually, and not, let's just like not even have a dude in this role. And have that person go home for the funeral and have to, like, deal with a week of kind of processing the grief with their father who's gotten, you know, mixed emotions. That could be an interesting And keep movie. the burnout friends. Keep the the burnout friends are keep fine. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And and that really could be a pretty interesting movie. But it's just, you know, this this was Zach Braff wanting to write a movie about a pixie dream girl. And manic pixie, uh, ma- manic pixie dream girl and give himself a reason to be sad so that she can cheer him up. That's and all this movie like is. like Lindsay said, so that he could eventually mm-hmm. date, maybe marry, we're not sure, Florence Pugh. <sighs> who I love. And who I just want I the world Pugh. for. Yeah. Ugh, I love it when she makes ice cream on Instagram. Do you think she's seen Garden State? Do you think on their <laughs> There's no date, way. He made her watch Garden State? <laughs> if she's seen Garden State, she would not be in that relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's an unforgivable yeah. thing to do, yeah. to write that movie and ruin... I'm sorry, I do place a lot of my failed relationships on Zach Braff. Like, uh-huh. he is to blame mm-hmm. for creating this 100%. expectation of mm-hmm. what women should be. And when I had, like, fully formed emotions, it was like, no, but you're supposed to be like Natalie Portman in Garden yeah. State. Yeah. And you're not like that. It's fine. It's fine. But I'm in also, therapy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but also, I think it, like, 
was bad for me too because I thought like, oh, this is who I should date is these like mopey deep thinkers. Yeah. Like when that's like college for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Going through that. And like that's fine. Like whatever. Like you said, then your brain fully forms and you get a personality that's not just the Garden State soundtrack and you realize like this doesn't have to be this way. To be you fair to be fair to the Garden State soundtrack, I still like it. It slaps. It slaps a, hard. It's a great it's really soundtrack. <laughs> I will tell you the when I slammed my laptop shut today, preparing for this episode, doing some research, is when I read that Zach Braff not only sent the script to people to read, but he also sent the mixed CD that they had to listen to while they were reading the script. Okay, because he knew. He knew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he knew. He's like, this is a movie that's really a soundtrack that we're selling with some stuff happening. And that's where on we screen. are. I mean, honestly. Yeah. How surprised were you to see Ann Dowd in this? Ann Dowd. Her mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I yeah. did not remember that, that. That I forgot her name, but I did not remember she was in this. I was like, what the? Ann Dowd, 20 years younger. This is wild. Mm-hmm. It was fun to see her. I thought she actually did a good job. Yeah. Didn't love that mm-hmm. the one black character was pretty one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was tough. This is a very white movie. It's a very white movie. Also, this is a movie where you can tell in every single scene, Zach Braff is throwing symbolism at you, and he is so proud of himself. Good luck when, exploring the infinite abyss. Is uh, that is that maybe what you're referring to? When, when he's in the bathroom <laughs> and he walks by the sinks, and they each turn on one by one because they can sense him walking by, and it's like you can just see him like walking, like strutting. And I, when he, when that was happening, I was like, Zach Braff was so freaking proud of himself for this stupid scene that means nothing and just makes the movie so much longer <laughs> it felt like five yeah. hours i felt like i was watching this for five hours it was it's long mm-hmm. and it's like scene song scene song <laughs> scene song and they're good songs again but it's like whoa. i can just listen to the soundtrack. i could i could be doing other things while listening to this yeah. music instead of feeling angry because i feel angry yeah you guys, I have bad news. The runtime is only 102 minutes. That's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's 300 minutes. It, it's... <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm a person, I like a movie that's like a tight 90. If it's like over like an hour and a half, I start to get bored. And yeah. I thought this was legitimately two and a half hours long. Yeah, it feels like it. <sighs> I mean, can we forgive ourselves? Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. If you still like the same media you liked at 21 when you're in your upper 30s, no, like that's probably you should <laughs> you should change. Like at some point you should change. And it's okay. It's okay to like stuff that you liked 20 years ago, but you should probably like it for kind of different reasons. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I like I still like this movie because of this nostalgia, or I still like this movie because I get something completely different out of it. This movie only funnels one message at you, and it's mopey white dude deserves happiness with manic pixie dream girl yeah. and there's no there's no other joy to be retrieved from this movie than that one message and so if that message doesn't resonate with you which it shouldn't for anyone in 2021 <laughs> or then ever. this movie's not for you <laughs> no i will say i well, go ahead Lindsay. go ahead Mike. Oh, well, I was gonna say like i think if i were like wanted if i wanted to go back and recapture like I don't know, whatever I took away from Garden State in 2004, I would just listen to the soundtrack. Like, I would listen to the shins. Like, yeah. I would just go and do that. Like, I wouldn't 
feel it necessary to go and watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Do I think that everybody in the world right now listening to this should get on YouTube and hopefully find the final (laughs) scene and watch that? Yes, I do, because it is so freaking stupid, and it will make you scream with rage to see Zach Braff run to Natalie Portman and be like, what should we do? What should we do? I mean, the height of anger for me was good luck exploring the infinite abyss. Like, just take a sledgehammer and, like, beat me on the head. You know, that would be more subtle than... Good luck in exploring the infinite abyss. Hey, man, you too. Like, Uh, oh, my gosh. Just kill me. uh, Just kill me. Okay, what I was going to say was, as I was watching this movie, I did have to remind myself that part of what felt so cliche about this movie was because this was actually the first movie to do a lot of the things that it did. Like, I've seen every iteration of this movie since, and Mm -hmm. they're all bad right Mm -hmm. but I do think this was the Mm -hmm. first one to do some of the things that it did and it probably did feel really fresh at the time Mm -hmm. and it deserves credit for that and that might be part of why every teen and 20 something really enjoyed this movie it just happened to also be pretty problematic in retrospect this movie has the same color palette and mood as 500 days of summer or like the Nashville filter on Instagram yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think every, I mean, probably every generation has one of these. And like, I, I hate to say it, but like Breakfast Club is kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, the Breakfast Club is fine. There's like things, but there's parts where you're like rolling your eyes like so hard. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's not, I mean, it's not singular in yeah. that way. And you're right, Meg. There's, it was one of the first that probably to do that in for at least this generation. Yeah, I can't think of any movie that came before this one that has this same kind of tone and vibe. But so many have come after. And so many have come after, yeah. Yeah. And it, it actually does make me nervous. I, I haven't seen 500 Days of Summer in a really long time. I'm sure it's terrible. And while I was watching this, yeah. I was like, you know, I really liked that movie too a few years later. And I hope that one isn't as bad, didn't age I as mean, badly. I hate to break it to you, but he likes her because she likes the Smiths. Like, <laughs> it kind of is the same thing. It's just at least, more but of the at same. least she doesn't end up with him. That is that was revolutionary. And she, she actually does have a personality in that movie. Kind of. Kind of. She is also a manic pixie dream girl. She's a manic pixie dream girl but, for sure. But you but can. You know what she's doing now? She dates a property brother. She yeah, she does. Down. She does. Yeah. <laughs> What? Yeah. Zoe Deschanel's yeah. dating a property. Is brother? it is is it the the I can't remember which one it is. Is it the construction guy I have or no the business idea. guy? They are indistinguishable. Same. There aren't there twins, right? I think. Maybe she's dating yeah. them both. Good I for will. her. Yeah. Good for her, exactly. I she thought, realized she needs that HGTV cash. Is it one of them it. gay? Or did I am I getting that mixed up mm-hmm. with something else? I mean, maybe you know something we don't. I don't. I, I have no insider information on the hom- the homosexuals. Okay. So, Lindsay, to your point about, like, The Breakfast Club, I think there's something to that. And I wonder if the problem is that we're not far removed enough from that time of our lives to just watch this and be entertained. If it still feels a little raw to remember that we had that kind of needless angst Mm. at the time, (laughs) you Mm. know, over, like, what exactly? Couldn't sign into MSN quick enough or, like, what... (laughs) <laughs> what was causing us to have these mopey feelings. And in like another 10 years, will we be like, oh, man, this is a fun piece of nostalgia? Maybe. 
I don't, I don't know. It. The writing is really bad. I want to say yes, but the writing is really yeah. It's not great. It's bad. But I do. I see what you're saying. I I like the idea of that. And like also, like you said, I think you said this earlier. Like I want to be like kind to myself, my like adolescent self, and be like my brain was developing. Like I wasn't like a full human being yet. Mm-hmm. And like obviously, like I was like in a day with hormones, and this was like a good way to like figure things out. But some things are just maybe not meant to be revisited in the <laughs> yeah. same way. Well, it, it really did make me wonder, are there any movies from like 2004 that I really liked that I could watch now and not feel rage that I liked them in 2004? I guess you got Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Stranger yeah. Than Fiction was around that time. Okay. I'd be interested to revisit that. I recently revisited it and actually liked it more now than I did okay. then. Um, and I, we watched Royal Tenenbaums and it was great. So that's we held up it. for you. Okay. For, for me, it held up. Good. I it was good. I should check that out again. And I think a comedy might, I mean, I guess this is technically a comedy, but like uh, I would call Royal Tenenbaums more of a comedy. Mm-hmm. So I, I there feel is like. There a suicide attempt. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there was in, I, I came home from my LDS mission in 2005. And you know, if you haven't seen a movie for a couple of years, every movie seems amazing, like overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Meg, you know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. And um, so does Lindsay. Oh, Lindsay, if you, yeah. Okay, so you come yeah. home from a mission, and like the first movie you see, you're just like, whoa, you know. <laughs> the first movie I saw in a movie theater after I came home was Rachel McAdams in Red Eye. Oh yeah, which is like Cillian Murphy a popcorn. It's just a popcorn movie, right? I watched this and I was like crying through the back half because I was so overwhelmed by what I was seeing. And it ended, I was with I was with my sister and my uncle. The three of us went together and it ended and I whispered, that is the best movie I have ever seen. And they both just looked at me and they're like, it was all right. And I rewatched it like a year ago and I was like, it's all right. <laughs> Well, do you know what? My I feel like every person who's come home from a Mormon mission has this experience. Like, my family, I, like, called them at Christmas. Like, I guess this was a year before I was coming home. And all they wanted to talk to me about was Avatar. Uh-huh. And, like, oh, no. When I got home, yes. And when I got home, that was, like, the first thing they had me watch was Avatar. And I was, I'm so sorry. And I, like, and I feel like I had the opposite experience with Eli. I was like, this is all right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, you know, to to be fair to that, my my family picked me up at the airport. We I got in the car and as we're driving home, they're like, there's a movie that you have to see tonight. It was this was like 7 p.m. and they're like, tonight you have to see this movie. It's called Napoleon Dynamite. And I was like, okay. So like we got home and like before I could even unpack, they're like, they put on Napoleon Dynamite, set me in front of the TV and then they all just watched me watching it. And I was like, the whole movie, I was just like, what the F is this? <laughs> what is happening? What happened to the world while I was gone? <laughs> so I guess, I guess, Lindsay, to your point, yes, like, I, I had both of the experiences. You're just, your, 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 your perspective on films is very different than the, the general public, you know, viewing audience who has not just taken a couple years off of viewing films. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, like, guys, do you have a film like this from coming back from your mission? What was that? Do you do you have an experience like that? Well, okay. I mean, you're going to judge me, but I will say I was sitting next to the AP 
on our way home who was like the, the star missionary. Uh-huh. And, and he put in his headphones and watched uh, a rom-com with Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo about Mark Ruffalo seeing ghosts or something. Okay. So I felt like I could put in my headphones and watch a rom-com with Mark <laughs> Ruffalo and Reese Witherspoon about uh-huh. Mark Ruffalo seeing ghosts. So that was it. That's what I saw, and I was kind of like, "What? What's happening?" And then it was the um, John Krasinski one about football. What? Leatherheads. What? Oh, I, I've never what? seen it. It's not good. I didn't know about that. Yeah. And I was like, I guess movies are bad now. <laughs> and then my family had me watch Juno, and I was like, okay, we're back to this. Like, we're back. <laughs> we're just gonna go right back into real life. Then we're oh, not gonna Juno. ease into it. Yeah. So. That was my. It was a quick transition back into real yeah, life. Yeah, I guess Juno's kind of Garden State, same era. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of, age, of yeah. Garden State in Juno. Yeah, I think Juno's a superior film, Definitely. but that same sort of like indie yeah. burnouts are cool. Oh. You know, mm-hmm. like don't listen to adults. Older man wanting a younger child. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least in Juno, it's like this That's is bad. bad. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. very bad. <laughs> Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Jason Bateman is the villain of Juno, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the movie wants you to Wait, see that. That movie is actually really good. It like, is. when I think about it, it's we should, a pretty we should good do movie. a rewatch of Juno. We should. Juno's pretty good. I, yeah. I watched it every pregnancy. So, Lindsay, have hmm. you watched it this pregnancy? Um, no, I haven't, but now I feel like I need to. There's I was still time. I say, I'm literally days away from having this baby. Yay! <laughs> But there's nothing I would rather do than talk about this horrible film with you guys. So. Well, I'm glad <laughs> that you days. you yeah. took some of those miserable hours. Man, those are miserable hours while mm-hmm. you're waiting to have a baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> and spent them talking with us yeah. about a miserable movie. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Couldn't have done anything better with my time. <laughs> um, guys, good luck exploring the infinite abyss. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Same to you. What oh, does he say I, back? Hey, yes. you too. Hey, you too, Meg. Um... <laughs> You can support this podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com forward slash HiveMindHQ. We are doing a Patreon-exclusive Bridgerton series right now, which is a real hoot, if I may say so myself. Uh, You should subscribe to our newsletter at hivemind.substack.com. There are links to this podcast and the other podcasts we do and the features we write and contests and all sorts of things. So subscribe to that newsletter at hivemind.substack.com. Substack.substack.hivemind.com. One of those two. And please remember to leave us a good rating and review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week.